0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, August 29th. I'm Kate Trinko.
1: And I'm Daniel Davis. During the Obama years, red states found themselves on the front lines defending liberty against an overreaching federal government. Leading the charge were men like Ken Paxton, the Attorney General of Texas. I sat down with Paxton and two other attorneys general to discuss their alliance, both then and now. We'll bring you that discussion. Plus, a key source in the news reports about Trump and Russian meddling goes back on his statements. We'll discuss.
0: But first, we'll cover a few of today's top headlines. White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow said Tuesday that the Trump administration was, quote, taking a look, end quote, at regulating Google further. On Tuesday morning, President Trump tweeted, Google search results for Trump news shows only the viewing reporting of fake news media. In other words, they have it rigged for me and others so that almost all stories and news is bad. Fake CNN is prominent. Republican, conservative, and fair media is shut out. Illegal? 96% of results on Trump news are from national left-wing media. Very dangerous. Google and others are suppressing voices of conservatives and hiding information and in news that is good. They are controlling what we can and cannot see. This is a very serious situation will be addressed.
1: Well, just two days after John McCain's passing, President Trump had restored the White House flag to full staff, but after taking heavy criticism for both parties about that, the president reversed course and lowered the flags once again. At an evening event with evangelical leaders on Monday, President Trump gave his first public remarks on the late senator.
2: Our hearts and prayers, uh are going to the family of Senator John McCain. going to be a lot of activity over the next number of days. And uh, we uh, very much appreciate everything that Senator McCain has done for our country. So thank you very much.
0: On Monday night, President Trump honored evangelicals at the White House. Here's part of what he said via the Christian Broadcasting Network.
2: In recent years, the government tried to undermine religious freedom. But the attacks on communities of faith are over. We've ended it.
0: According to CBN's David Brody, attendees included Vice President Mike Pence, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, Reverend Paula White, Housing Secretary Ben Carson, and Reverend Franklin Graham.
1: Well, it seems more Americans are feeling the need for weed. According to a new study by the Annals of Internal Medicine, one out of seven Americans used marijuana at some point in 2017. That's 14% of Americans. 8% said they had used marijuana in the last 30 days. Marijuana use was higher in states where the drug had been legalized. The rate of usage in those states was 20%, compared to only 12% in states where it remained illegal. So, uh, potentially a factor to keep in mind for states who have not yet legalized it.
0: But did they inhale it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is one record the U.S. didn't want to beat. The number of cases of three common types of sexually transmitted diseases increased in 2017, according to data released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 2017 is the fourth year in a row that STDs have increased, and in 2017 alone, there were about 2.3 million cases of gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. Furthermore, gonorrhea in recent years has become untreatable by most antibiotics, with only one left that remains an effective treatment. The reason behind the climb isn't certain, although, one factor that Vox put forward was the increase in dating and hookup apps.
1: Well, Buffalo, New York can say goodbye to Catholic adoption and foster services. After 95 years of service in the Buffalo area, Catholic Charities is ceasing adoption and foster-related services because the state no longer allows them to only place children with a father and a mother. The CEO of Catholic Charities in Buffalo, Dennis Walzik, said, quote, It is with deep sadness we acknowledge that the legacy of the high-quality, exceptional services which our staff provides to children and families through foster care and adoption will be lost. End quote. Faith-based adoption providers are facing similar challenges across the country. Groups like the ACLU are suing to force them to either change their policies or get out of the adoption business.
0: Well, the kids aren't all right, at least in California. CBS's Sacramento, California affiliate reports on a troubling incident in a classroom over a Make America Great Again hat.
2: Yeah, this certainly wasn't your typical high school English class. Instead, it turned into a lesson in politics and criminal justice.
0: Go right now,
2: please. Video shows some of the tension inside this high school classroom. The teacher trying to subdue a fired up 17 year old senior, Joanne Butler, hurling curse words after she became enraged at a classmate for wearing a President Trump Make America Great Again hat and grabbed it off his head. That's a racist and Hateful symbol. Joanne Butler is now facing two counts of battery, one against her classmate and another against her teacher, who deputies say she slapped as he escorted her out of the room. Butler says she made this scene to express her political beliefs.
0: Maybe just wake people up in some type of way because it's not cool, the environment that our classroom is in. So I hope all those liberals who've been pushing the idea that nothing could be more extreme than the Trump administration feel
1: good about this. Well up next we'll bring you a discussion with three Republican Attorneys General about their interstate alliance. Well, I have the uh, privilege of being joined here with three state attorneys general, all Republicans. We have Attorney General Doug Peterson of Nebraska, Attorney General Ken Paxton of Texas, and Attorney General Alan Wilson of South Carolina. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with me here. Glad to be here. Um, you know, over the last several years, uh, folks like myself who follow uh, the news and work in the news business have seen these cases just one after another being filed um, jointly by Republican states. A lot, yeah, you may have had a lot of work on your hands. Um, and I just, the first question I have to ask is um, how did this alliance between Republican State Attorneys General um, emerged during the Obama
3: years. Um, Well I was elected in 2010 right as as the Affordable Care Act litigation was coming to fruition and um, that was probably the watershed case where a coalition of more than half the states in the country, I believe it was 27 states, and then 28 if you include Virginia in their lawsuit, basically coalesced around this idea of federalism, and we fought the ACA or Obamacare all the way to the US Supreme Court. Now we ultimately lost in the Supreme Court, but that created a synergy that we took forward to other issues uh, in defense of federalism, religious liberty, you know, and other issues alike. And so that was uh, really, I think, was, was the watershed event, in my mind, where the AGs started really coalescing, instead of being separate fiefdoms unto themselves, really started coming together.
2: I would say with that, there were several issues that came up through the Obama administration, uh, actions taken by the EPA Actions taken by the Department of Education and other places where it was clear They were going beyond the scope of their authority and it was affecting states and so that very naturally allowed for states to come together Collectively to challenge for example waters of the US was an important one for all of us to join in and So frankly it was very proactive uh, administrative state uh, under the Obama administration, that I think really caused a lot of this to gain energy after the ACA actions. Yeah, so Doug and I
4: came in four years later after Alan. Uh, I think they sort of put the model in place. I think this guys from that, that era put the model in place that we ended up following. What was interesting about when Doug and I came in, it picked up. Um, I think under my previous. Uh, AG, is now the governor of Texas, they sued 31 times in, in six years, that was Texas. We sued 27 times in two years. So the pressure from the Obama administration kicked up, so it was great that this model of federalism and cooperation among attorneys general to fight this overreach by the federal government had already been put in place because we knew how to do it. And we needed to know how to do it because the pressure from the Obama administration, the overreach got more intense and more numerous and we were in a good place to, to go fight it.
1: Well, General Peterson, you mentioned the uh, Waters of the United States rule. Um, what are some of the other big cases where you consider the most encouraging wins where this alliance really succeeded?
2: Well, I think one of the things, uh, some of these battles that we started uh, once the Trump administration uh, took office They pulled back on several of their rules. Uh, There was the the bathroom case, which, again, was an administrative agency overreading the law, uh, broadening the scope of the law beyond what any courts had really said, and meanwhile saying, if you don't follow our guidance, we're going to withdraw money from you. I mean, this type of attitude, it, we're, we had to be on the balls of our feet all the time for different things coming out of D.C. Now, with the new administration, frankly, they've pulled back. Now, this isn't to say we wouldn't challenge, regardless of whether it's a Republican or a Democrat administration, we're going to protect state rights. Uh, but frankly, what we've seen, the EPA is a good example. The EPA has pulled back on the definitions of waters of the U.S. Uh, we've seen it in other EPA emission uh, standards, and we think it's more conducive. Prior to the Obama administration's proactive approach under EPA laws, there was a lot of difference given to states to manage their environments, and it was in the original legislation from the 70s. Uh, and then what you saw was a, uh, an Obama administration that said, well, we're going to expand it through agency action. And right now, under the Trump administration, obviously they pulled back on that. And so right now, it's as I said, it's. Uh, not as if we wouldn't pursue an action if we felt they crossed the line again, but we're just not seeing as much activity in that regard.
4: So we got a huge victory in immigration. It was one of it was a 26 state coalition. While Obama was in office, I think it was one of his biggest legal setbacks because it, it really set the tone for this idea that separation of powers really does matter. That the president can't just come out with an executive order. And we got that we got that win at the Supreme Court, and we had you know. We started getting lots of successes against the EPA. We had a, a win with the overtime rule against the uh, Department of Labor. We had another persuader rule that we, we got struck down. So we had some successes even while Obama was there. It was just nice when Trump came in and we still had a lot of cases to deal with. And we started having them rescind some of them or uh, revise. And so it's been a much better relationship between the states and the federal government.
1: Well, in the last couple years under the Trump administration, you're seeing uh, maybe a similar intensity on the Democratic side and the AG, uh, Democratic AGs filing jointly against the administration. Um, what do you make of some of those suits?
4: Well, they always say, that, I don't know what the, the phrase is, uh, flatterers, uh, Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And I think that's what's going on here. They're, they're copying our model, but they're not doing it the, the right way. It's, it's, uh, it's a cheap invitation because what we always fought on was rule law in the Constitution. They are... Seeking to go to federal judges and have them change the law. They're not out there trying to defend the Constitution. They're actually out there asking judges to to change the law, whether it's state law or federal law. We, my office has had to deal with a lot of both, and um, it's just the new mode since the president isn't changing law. They've gone to they've, they've gone to another another way.
2: You know, one of the things I would say is we've had the opportunities. We're not. And it's no surprise. We're not invited to join in these lawsuits uh, by the Democratic AGs. At least I haven't ever had one call me and say, hey, would you consider getting into this? Uh, But I have pulled up their pleadings and to see what is the legal basis for this. And I've been very disappointed of how um, what I consider fairly weak... Uh, legal arguments and so it's it's frustrating because I would say the reason we brought these suits is because it involved really important constitutional principles that affected um, how this country goes forward and when I see the lawsuits currently being filed and the the legal principles that are being applied it's 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 purely appears to be politics which is frustrating because Republican or Democrat we're supposed to uphold the rule of law
3: no, I'm just going to second what these, what both these guys said. Um, so, uh, one thing I want to go back to is, is that um, I think it was the lawsuit that Nebraska led that we joined in on the the bathroom mandate, where they redefined the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to redefine what sex meant to right. transgender, where they would force. T- take these decisions away from local school districts and families and, and withhold Title IX funding if they-, if they discriminate against transgender students, which no one on the Republican AG side is for discrimination of anybody, especially transgender students. But to rewrite federal law and put a gun to the head of the states was um, something that we just couldn't tolerate. And we brought that. We brought that suit. And then right after the president came in, they, they rescinded the rule. Yeah. And I believe that was because of, uh, of the role that the states were playing. I believe that that really expedited that.
1: Well, um, obviously one of the things that you deal with is the federal judges appointed by the president. Um, and there are uh, many vacancies on the federal court, uh, and President Trump is working to fill them. Um, what do you make of the progress being made on that front? And um, are you encouraged by the potential for remaking the judiciary?
2: You know, I can only speak for. Uh, we recently had a, a well respected attorney who used to serve in the Attorney General's office for, I think, 10, 12 years, uh, appointed to the Eighth Circuit. And I've known him for some time and know he, that he's someone who uh, fully grasps the importance of the rule of law and uh, upholding the Constitution. So the profile of the judges that I've been seeing on the federal bench and Uh, particularly the circuit courts is very encouraging to me because it's critical when you go to try to uphold the Constitution and you have someone who thinks that the Constitution is just this living, breathing document that this particular judge can do whatever he thinks in his or her own mind is best it's a very, very frustrating process and outside obviously what the founding fathers ever intended so I'm to that question i'm very encouraged what we're seeing in federal judgeships.
4: yeah we've had four appointments to the fifth circuit since trump came into office all four came out of the texas attorney general's office so i know (laughs) them all and it's it's remarkable I, i i would say he's doing if not the best job close to the best job i've ever seen of any president appointing judges that care about the constitution that care about the rule of law and Ultimately, will make make the right call when when we're in front of him on, on, on the wall, and so I'm very encouraged. I think he has done an amazing job with with uh, his, his appointments. He's done a better job of vetting than I've seen since, you know, I've been a lawyer.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at the nominations of Neil Gorsuch and now Brett Kavanaugh, I'm incredibly impressed at the highest levels of judiciary. But at the, you know, I don't have anyone from my office that's been nominated to a federal bench yet. But uh, one of the uh, AUSA's in South Carolina, uh, one of our uh, assistant U.S. attorneys, was just nominated to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and he was a uh, he was the one who prosecuted, if you remember, the uh, massacre in Charleston a few years ago. Yes, uh, the, the the black church down there, Mother Emanuel, and those nine people lost their lives tragically. He prosecuted that case. He was also a former uh, law clerk to uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist uh, back in the day. So, um, but I know I know this. This is a brilliant person, and he's going to make an amazing judge if he's confirmed by the U.S. Senate. So I agree. I concur with what my two colleagues are saying about the president's um, vetting of these judges. And I'll tell you right now, it is so important um, that we have the kind of people um, who follow the rule of law strictly. You know, we were on a panel earlier, and I'll, I'll go ahead and cite my good friend Ken Paxson, Attorney General of Texas who was saying, and I agree with him 1,000%, that we have judges right now saying that a current president cannot pass, uh, sign an executive order that rescinds a former president's executive order. And that, that is that is absolutely obscene. Um, it is ab- We have judges actually, they look themselves in the mirrors and they sign these types of judicial opinions. And so um, that is why we are desperate to have good people on the bench who are going to follow the rule of law.
1: Well, final question for you, gentlemen. Um, are there any cases that you're working on right now that, that our listeners should keep an eye on that are going to become sort of the cutting edge issues um, that are that are making law in the next couple of years?
4: We have a hearing tomorrow on DACA. And it's wildly controversial because it deals with all kinds of policy decisions that Congress should deal with. And I, I would say that every attorney general that's a part of this, we have ten states involved in this, would agree that this is an issue for Congress. And yet, this is about the rule of law and about the Constitution. And we have a president who admitted that he changed the law, that this wasn't done the right way. And a lot of people want to make an exception because they like the policy. And yet, once we start making those exceptions for a president, it's hard to ever turn that back. And we've opened the door for every president to make law, as opposed to the system that our founders so deeply believed in, which was a separation of powers and not having power in the hands of too few people. And that's what this is about. This is about protecting our people from
2: a tyrannical government and a a government that's controlled by a few people. Yeah, and we don't have, in Nebraska, we don't have a present case filed, but I I am getting concerned in a university setting of uh, how much oppression of free speech and free thought, both for students and for faculty members, uh, that there is this groupthink that's being uh, demanded of people by the so-called progressives and it's troubling to me because if there's any place where we should have uh, freedom of debate and ideas it's in our schools and in our universities and um, i'm hearing more anecdotal information of how uh, that's being suppressed in a significant way No, I would just concur with what they
3: said. I'm involved, obviously, in the DACA lawsuit. And, um, you know, I I tell people oftentimes when you run for attorney general, you run on a platform where you pick all these issues you're going to run on, and then you realize you don't pick the issues, they pick you. And you don't know that you're being picked until it's on top of you. And so who knows what the the issue du jour will be um, in a year or a month. Um, But it will be there to enforce the rule of law.
1: Well, uh, gentlemen, it's quite an alliance that you've built, and I appreciate you leading the way in the courts and uh, for joining me here. All right. Thank you.
0: Are you into storytelling podcasts that help explain some of today's toughest policy issues and debates? Every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we interview experts, intermingling media clips and personal stories to help simplify issues from a conservative perspective. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Month, CNN had a pretty sensational story. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen had heard President Trump refer to his son Don Trump Jr. meeting with Russians to discuss if they had useful info on Hillary Clinton before that meeting occurred. Well, turns out one of the anonymous sources for that CNN story was Lanny Davis, a longtime Washingtonian who is now Cohen's lawyer. According to a report from BuzzFeed. Davis is now essentially retracting that confirmation. However, Davis also acted as an anonymous source to the Washington Post and the New York Post on the same story. CNN told BuzzFeed, quote, We stand by our story and are confident in our reporting of it, end quote. The story did cite more than one source. However, that's not the only journalistic issues with this particular story. The story also said, that Davis did not comment. Well, obviously he did comment to CNN, just not on the record. So Daniel, would you say this is a big story? It's a bigger story than it's
1: being made out to be. Um, You know, Brett Baier on Fox News last week kind of made a, a stink about this saying, hey, You know the media has not uh, made a big as big a deal as it should in retracting this. Um, They obviously acknowledged it, but um, the initial story was huge, uh, and now the retraction seems seems relatively small. And and frankly, to me, I think this confirms President Trump's concerns about anonymous sourcing. Um, You know he's complained about it that you know you could just be making up sources, and obviously they weren't making up a source, but. Lanny Davis clearly felt that because it was anonymous, uh, he, he wasn't being as accountable as he would have been otherwise. So, you know, I think this is also, uh, this is just a bad, is bad for Lanny Davis, bad for, for his effort to, you know, give Mueller information and to take down President Trump. It's uh, an yeah. egg on the media's face, frankly.
0: No, it is. And I think, um, you know, something of like the Daily Signal that we try to do is avoid anonymous sources as much as possible. And stuff like this is part of the reason why. I mean, the other thing, too, is, you know, people have reasons for giving certain tidbits of information. And often that reason, of course, um, can be related to who they are. It can be related to other motivations. And without knowing who they are, you have none of that context. You know, Lanny Davis is not some disinterested party at this point. Um, So I think it does speak of, yeah, the need for the media to be careful about anonymous sources. And, you know, something that we try to do in this podcast is acknowledge when we're citing a news story that came from anonymous sources. And I think that's important so that people can make up their own mind whether they want to trust it or not. Um, So much of this Russian story has relied on unnamed sources. And, you know, as you say, Daniel, when the corrections come, they never seem to quite get the prominence that the original story did.
1: You know, this also makes you wonder how many other, um, frankly, lies Davis had, had, had told to the media. Maybe there may be others. We don't know. It also makes me wonder, who are the other anonymous sources that CNN is citing? I mean, they're, they're standing by their original claim that Cohen said this, but they're just now citing other sources and that they're not naming those sources. I wonder who they are.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. I will say, though, I believe Davis stressed that he did not lie, that he misunderstood CNN or CNN misunderstood him. I forget exactly what it's supposed to be, but he did not. He said at least initially uh, intentionally lie is what he's claiming. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, in terms of like if a journalist's job is to present someone with the facts and sort of let them decide for themselves to cite the infamous Fox slogan, then um, that's something that naming sources is really important for.
1: Well, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation.
0: Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback.
1: We'll see you again tomorrow.